Thanks, Mike, and, uh, and, the, and the band. Um, well, what a lovely day it is today, isn't it? Uh, as you know, I'm fixated with the weather, and today was going to be horrible, but it's great. So that's, uh, that's a tremendous uh, result. So I hope you can uh, enjoy some uh, nice fresh air later today. Um, and this morning, um, we're continuing our series working through the book of James. I'm sure everybody here knows that already, but there may be some people joining us online who uh, are not aware of that. It might be your first time, and if, uh, if it is your first time, you're really welcome. Uh, it's good to have you with us, albeit remotely. Uh, and this week, we come to chapter 3, uh, which is Taming the Tongue. Uh, and obviously, I had uh, trials, tests, and temptations earlier on, and now I've got Taming the Tongue. So it seems to be three T's all the way. I look forward to seeing what my next subject is and seeing whether we can work that into the, into the title, Taming the Tongue. And uh, we're going to read the first 12 verses. So let's do that. Thanks, Tom, the next slide. So we'll read this, uh, this first. Um, but as we do that, let's just pray, shall we, together before we read God's word together. Heavenly Father, your word is life to us. If we allow it to penetrate deep into our heart, our mind, our spirit. And we say now, Father, as we come to your word, we want to come to it eagerly and humbly. So Holy Spirit, teach us, speak to us. Father, I pray that you'd speak to every person who's here and joining us online this morning. Speak to us powerfully, we pray, through your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. So James 3, 1 to 12. If you've got your Bibles, that would be great. Uh, I don't know whether you can see it on screen if you're online or not, but you'd, uh, you can get it on your, your phone, tablet, or whatever. So James says this, um, following straight on from the passage Mike spoke on last week about the importance of faith producing works. Faith is active, it's not passive. It, it produces something because it's real. And James immediately then follows this with a, a, a section talking about what we find halfway through this passage is the tongue, even though it's fairly obvious before we get to his first reference to the tongue specifically that it's about, it's about the way we speak. And he says this, verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large, they're driven by strong winds, and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we can curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And so here we are, um, James on good form yet again, typically blunt, down to earth, very practical. And I bet there's not much in this you don't already understand by either just reading to it or listening to me reading that out um, just a moment or two ago. But this, the passage, just for the sake of, of working our way through, it falls very clearly into four sections. Verses 1 and 2 uh, sets the scene, and the transition from last week, as I said, faith is dynamic. It, it, it starts to move us from the end of chapter 2 in, into what James wants to address in chapter 3. Secondly, verse 3 to 6 emphasizes the incredible power of the tongue. Verses 7 and 8 underlines the difficulty in controlling the tongue, and 9 to 12, James tries to reveal the evil nature, as he describes it, of the tongue itself. So, um, as I say, it's not surprise, no surprise that James gets stuck into this subject with his customary bluntness, something that we're now uh, very familiar with. And he's addressing the massive challenge of taming the tongue. But despite the size of the challenge, it's something that we all need to continue to work on. And as we end, I'm going to also, uh, you know, say that there are lots, there are literally hundreds of references to the tongue in our speech in the Bible, not just in James. And if we just left this passage, we would all be thinking, there's no hope. We have, what is the point? We can't do anything. Because if that was all that the Bible said about our speech and the way we interact, then there would be kind of almost no hope but there are lots of other references and we'll draw on those as we come more towards the end of what we're going to say and look at this morning. But there are um, themes that run through the book of James and uh, we'll, we touch on a number of those throughout uh, this series. And one is the way we use our tongue and talk to each other. So if you go back, for example, to 126, uh, James chapter 126, he says this, if anyone considers himself religious yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. And there are also references in four, chapter 4, verse 1, and 4, verse 11, where James addresses quarreling and the, uh, the use of uh, uh, your tongue to bring our brothers and sisters down. So it's a theme that kind of runs. There's a section in the middle of, in, in chapter 3, but there's a theme right the way throughout the book that you can trace as if you just look at those particular references. And as I said, there are hundreds of other references in the Bible. And if you want to, for example, look at the book of Proverbs, um, I don't know when the last time you read the book of Proverbs was. Um, anybody read it in the last three months? Or six months? Yeah. It's a while since I've done and in, in, in actually, you know, preparing for this morning, I've got a mental note to go back to the book of Proverbs because it seems to me to link quite carefully and closely to what James is saying. It's very clear in many of the things it says. And, 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 and within there, there's a lot of truth about how we can live our lives and how we should behave. And in Proverbs, the, the, the negative use of the tongue is very strongly contrasted with the positive use of the tongue. So the negative use brings destruction, 
but the positive use brings wisdom and it builds people up. And as I say, we'll, uh, we'll come back to that at the end. So uh, next slide, please, Tom. We're going to start setting the scene here. Verses 1 and 2 starts with a slightly strange verse, verse 1. And it starts with a reference to teachers and teaching. And I don't want to spend too much time on this today, other than to say that, remember James's writing to the Jewish community. And being a teacher or a rabbi in the Jewish culture was, was, not a, it was a high status thing to aspire to. So if you were a rabbi, you had a higher status in society. You had a higher status in the community. And it may just be, as commentators have suggested, that uh, in the people that James is writing to, quite a few people would aspire to be teachers. But he's saying, just be a bit careful about that because the, those of us who use our tongues the most are most likely to come under the problem that James is actually outlining in 3 verses 1 to 12. Um, but I just want to touch on that because you, you do want to cover the whole passage because the context is important. Uh, but there'll be lots of... Uh, um, if you're interested in knowing more, I can point you to some, uh, some commentaries if you want to um, have a look at that further. But it's not the specific subject of today. But it would appear that uh, James is probably addressing a cultural situation at that particular time. But then we come to verse 2. Now, look at the first few words in verse 2. James says this, We all stumble in many ways. Now, by my reckoning... They're about the softest words that James says in the whole of the book. It's almost like our gritty Hebrew Yorkshire theologian is actually starting to associate himself with who he's, he's writing to, as in where he is one of them, as opposed to a list of these ethical things, the way that we need to behave. So there's a, I felt like I was rereading it, rereading it, I thought, wow. There's, there is an, there's a softer underbelly of James in there because he's saying we all stumble. He recognizes that um, in aspiring to all these very high standards, we are going to fail because why? We're human and we all stumble in many ways. And it's just, there's another few little um, uh, words that come at the end of this passage that seem to just emphasize on that. But having said that, and as um, you might feel that there's a, that James is softening up a bit, we just need to keep reading to find that actually his language strengthens again, again in, in relation to the, the power of the tongue. But he does go on to suggest that if we are able to control our speech and the way we use our tongue, we're well on the way to leading a positive, disciplined life. But before we get to that stage, here's his warning. So the second section, verses 3 to 6 at the bottom of the slide there, um, we come on to the second bit, which is around uh, James underlining the incredible power of the tongue. And I think we probably all know this. Proverbs 12, 18 says this, reckless words pierce like a sword. And I bet everybody here and everybody listening online has experienced the negative impact of someone saying bad things to you, or you've heard some, you know, a report about someone saying bad things to you. I'd be incredibly surprised if uh, the vast majority have not had that experience. And there's a whole load of psychology around negativity bias and, and what that means and why we seem to be programmed 
uh, to latch onto the negative, but it is true that we tend, most people tend to do that. If, if we hear something that's said that's negative about us, it gets inside of us and we dwell on it, we think about it. It's easy for us to feed that negativity by dwelling on what people have said about us. And uh, I read one article in, in preparation for today that suggested that we all need at least three positive comments to outweigh the negative one throughout our whole lives. I'm not entirely sure that's right, actually, because many of us can dwell on negative things for a long, long time. And that negativity can get inside us and produce in us either an attitude or a defensiveness or a separation from people because we want to protect ourselves from being hurt again. Words, as we'll come on to say later, are incredibly powerful. So, yeah, sorry, and, and I was just going to say as well there that there's the element which we hear negativity and it's part of our daily lives. But actually some people, some of us, perhaps have experienced such evil negativity that it transforms us into something different. And that needs the power of God to come and redress that balance. The tongue in Proverbs 18:21 says this, has the power of life and death. Life and death. And James uses three examples to underline his point. Very straightforward, day-to-day -day things that, we, that they would understand and actually we still understand today. The first one is the bit and the horse, and I'm sure that you all know the bit is that bit of metal in a horse's mouth that's attached to the reins. Very small, can, can guide the, uh, the horse to go one way or another. It's a very small bit of metal, but actually can, can move a horse one way or another. Or the rudder of a ship, very straightforward. We know how small a rudder is in relation to the size of the ship and how disproportionately powerful it is in steering where that ship might go. And then James comes in verse 5 here to the first reference for, of the, to the tongue itself. And then he moves on to a spark and a fire. Um, I don't know how many people here are members of the National Trust. Uh, Maria and I are uh, joined a few years ago. And I received an email this week um, following the, uh, the bushfire on Marsden Moor um, a couple of weeks ago. It seems a bit strange to think about um, uh, he upper um, uh, heathland fires when we've had such you know, freezing cold weather and rain for the last few days. But quite a large area of that, of that heathland and that moorland was, was destroyed by fire. And it was the same area where a few years ago, over a thousand hectares, which I think is 10 square miles, um, uh, were destroyed by someone discarding what they thought was an extinguished barbecue. So, and then thousands of acres, two and a half thousand acres completely destroyed by this one thing. And the National Trust were, were seeking additional financial help so that they can re, uh, you know, get the moor back to its previous state in the shortest possible time. We all know that, don't we? We've seen fires in, I mean, nothing compared to what we've seen in California and Australia. Not just devastating uh, forests and moorlands, but uh, killing people and whole towns that once existed 
now exist no longer as a consequence of a massive fire set off by a spark or a small device. And we come to verse 6, which is the punchline. And James says this, the tongue is also a fire. So having in verse 5 introduced the tongue specifically into the passage, he also goes on to say in verse 6, the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil amongst the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Wow. I mean, it's like James has decided, wow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for this. It's, uh, he's, he's on a roll. It's a bit like Paul uh, in some of his letters the other way around when he's just taken up with the, the wonder of the grace of God or the presence of Jesus. And he just, you know, this amazing theology of praise just pours out of his mouth and into his letters. James is kind of almost going the other way. Um, hell, you know, Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom, which is a place just outside of Jerusalem, which was a rubbish dump where the rubbish was burned, but even more sinisterly was a place where child sacrifice took place by flame. And Jesus used it as a place to represent ultimate condemnation. And it just seems to me that James must have gone to preaching school because he had three examples, three points, and each point builds on the, on the last with a final conclusion, which is basically, if your, your tongue was birthed in hell, the worst possible place, the place of condemnation. And you kind of think, whoa, he's really making a point here. And the point is how powerful the impact of what we say actually is. And not only is it powerful, uh, can I have the next slide, Tom, please? Verse 7 onwards, thanks. Not only is it powerful, it's incredibly difficult to control. James goes on to hammer his point further. It's not only powerful, uh, we can tame wild animals, we can do this. Um, and he's almost using extreme language here. And, you know, I've been, I've been thinking quite a lot about this, not necessarily in relation to um, this morning, but I don't know if it's just lockdown or not, um, and or the growth of, of social media, which continues, um, obviously, to, to grow. But just the level of awful things that are reported that are now said on social media. Horrendous things, trolling. And it feels like we're, we're now in a society where people can say anything they want without fear of consequence, repercussion, or any sense of personal responsibility. Not everybody, obviously. Because social media is neutral, it's how it's used. And a few examples came to mind as I was preparing. I don't know whether people saw um, during lockdown, there was a family called the Marsh family who uh, set new words to, um, to songs about the COVID outbreak. And there were uh, mum, dad, and two young girls. And the two young girls had excellent singing voices, really clever. Um, and they did something on Les Miserables, and they did something on the, the one I'm going to mention, Hallelujah, by Leonard Cohen. Uh, instead of hallelujah, it was have the new jab, is what they put in. And they went through a whole song about, you know, the, you know, the people who were against it and the people who were for it. But the message from them was have the jab. Incredibly clever and seen by many people as a, a sort of light, you know, a sort of um, amusing, important, but poignant take on, on where we were as a society and what we were going through. And the dad had to take the social media post down 
because the horrendous vitriolic death threats against his children for saying what they were saying by some of the more extremist anti-vaccine people. And we see that, I mean, footballers interestingly have taken a stand recently by coming off social media for a number of days because of the, the, the level of racist abuse, particularly directed at, at black or Asian footballers who don't perform as well in a game in the opinion of some people. The power of saying something and the power of saying something which is uh, unaccountable. Those things, actually, if people said those to your face, would almost certainly constitute an offence. I defer to Chris's previous experience here, but in terms of threatening words and behaviour, or even worse. That's the culture in which we live. And so what James is warning us against and helping us to move away from is not only universally true, it's very, very true for now. It's very true for, for that we are able to speak positively, we're, we're to say, to find the right words uh, at the right time. Perhaps there's never been a more important time to be positive than at the moment. So incredibly powerful, difficult to control, and finally, in, in verses 9 to 12, talks, here it's, uh, James says, it, it kind of revealing the nature. Um, and... Uh, what, we're, what he's doing in verse 9 here is, is saying, with one breath we praise God, and with another breath we curse others. So there's a double standard. We're using the same thing, and that, that sort of double standard is another theme throughout the whole book of, Ch uh, of James. In 1 verse 8, it talks about double-minded person, uh, can't expect to receive anything from the Lord. And in 4 verse 8, it says... Um, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So this is another uh, example of a theme that runs through James uh, that he keeps coming back to. And what he does to hammer his point here is to use, again, two examples that would have been extremely familiar with the people listening to him. Water, you know, we didn't have... Northumbrian water that we could turn on our tap and know that the water is pure and perfect and we could do anything with it uh, for 99.9999999% of the time at least. Um, the village spring was critical in providing um, clean water supply for the village. They say, but actually if the water becomes contaminated, that's going to be a problem. Or how can figs produce olives or olives produce grapes? Just an example. He wouldn't need to explain that because that's, that's everywhere in Palestine, the hearers would have understood that absolutely. But note that James doesn't provide any direction about to, how to deal with this mon monster, the tongue. But it's very easy to read over these few verses here. Um, he says here, where are we? He says, this shouldn't be, at the end of verse 10, my brothers and sisters, this shouldn't be. And this felt to me like a similar to we all stumble in many ways. Because if you read the bit before, um, you would have thought there's no hope. There's no hope of, of taming this thing that God's given us. But he does say, do you know what? This shouldn't be. It's not hopeless. So, of course, we know in conclusion that James isn't talking about the muscle between our teeth. 
He's talking about how we use that muscle. He's talking about our speech. He's talking about the way um, that we interact with each other. He's probably not even referring to, you know, bad language or poor language. That's not great. He's referring to language which causes offense, hurt, slander, that cut people down, that cause distress. He's causing, he's speaking about language that has a negative impact and effect on other people. And we need to come face to face with the warning that James gives us here, while at the same time recognizing that we have the opportunity to become better at using encouraging speech more often, and also what else the Bible has to say about uh, the way we speak. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 37, that it's out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. And uh, one of the commentators I was reading in, in, in prep for, for this morning um, said this is, um, what comes out of our mouths is a barometer of our spirituality. How we speak reflects, I think what he's saying, is how close we are to Jesus. How we speak reflects how close we are to Jesus. So what can we do? So first of all, I think we, can, we, we need to recognize that words are powerful. They're incredibly powerful, but they don't just communicate something. They create something. Words create as well as communicate. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And just as we were worshipping uh, this morning, I was thinking, I remember Liz said uh, a few weeks ago, you know, we can't sing out, but we can sing inside. And I was, I was um, trying to do that, and I, I know we're online and all the rest of it. It's very hard, actually, isn't it? And sometimes you, a new song starts up and you start singing behind your mask, and you think, oh, no, because it's just a natural thing to do. Now, the benefit of not singing out is and singing in your head is that you can sound amazing. You could sound like, I don't know, Sting, Lady Gaga, Perry Como, whoever you want. Um, and you can, in your mind, sing in perfect pitch. You can be doing the most amazing harmonies. And uh, I guess that's what it's going to be like in heaven. I mean, obviously not here, as we know. But it's not the same as being able to sing. Because there's something that as we sing and as we worship, it creates something. It strengthens faith. It puts Jesus on the throne of his lives. It draws us near to him. It draws him near to us. It brings us to a place where, you know, God can speak to us because the, the act of physical act of worship not just the silent act of worship, is powerful. It, it creates something. Now, there are big, there's a big difference, isn't it, between communication and, uh, you, know, you know, as we're, we're talking about James being a Yorkshireman, you might, you might hear in Yorkshire, what do you think, do a cuppa? I've been practicing, can you tell? Yorkshire tea, obviously. I mean, that's true in our house. It's got to be Yorkshire tea. Because that's just a piece of communication, isn't it? But if you hear someone say to you, we need to talk, 
there's something I need to tell you, and you're not going to like it. What does that produce in you? Fear, anxiety, concern, foreboding. Because the words are completely different. All very simple words in both of those sentences. But one has a much more powerful effect. Words can be used to inspire us, to move us, to challenge us, to change us. Uh, the course of wars have been changed by words as much as uh, physical uh, uh, military capability. We can be moved by something or for all of us in different ways. It could be a song, it could be a poem, it could be something someone says in the face of real difficult situations. It might just be a throwaway comment by someone, but for us it connects and it moves us. It, it, it gets us in our heart. And perhaps one of the challenges for us this morning is to be much more aware of the impact that we have on others, first of all, that when we speak. You know, God wants us to speak well. Jesus wants us to speak well. So firstly, rec remember that words are not just powerful, they create as well as communicate. We want to create the right things through what we say. Secondly, if we go back into chapter 1 of James, there is a little hint as well when he says this, we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. In other words, listen more and shut up more. <laughs> now, for some of us, that might be easier than it is for others. Some of us actually are born listeners, actually. And we know that, don't we? Because people say you're a good listener because they're able to know when it's important not to speak. So the balance is being quicker to listen than it is to speak. So it's a practical thing from James earlier on. Thirdly, if we jump into another book of the Bible in Colossians, Paul says this, let your conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt. What a love, I mean, what a lovely and powerfully challenging phrase that is full of grace. What does grace mean? Grace means Jesus to us. Grace means getting what we don't deserve. And Paul says that's how we should be thinking about the way we speak, the way we communicate with each other, full of grace. Question is, to me, is my speech always full of grace? Is it seasoned with salt? Is it not just bland, but is it helpful? I think that's what Paul is getting at there. You know, something with a bit of salt is properly seasoned, tastes better, and, you know, is more enjoyable than something that is bland and, and nondescript. Paul's saying grace and seasoning in everything we say. And fourthly, um, I also thought about this. Now, clearly, this is, okay, it's a stretch, but it's an important one. How did the Holy Spirit come on the disciples in the upper room in the form of tongues of fire? Tongues of fire. James is talking about the tongue. He's talking about the physical tongue. But actually, one of the ways that God demonstrated coming upon his disciples in order to change the world were tongues of fire. And I don't want to draw the tongue analogy out too much because it, it's stretching it. 
But the important thing is that we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives in order to do these things. Otherwise, we are, as James says, without hope here. It's the power of the Holy Spirit leading us, nudging us, discipling us, helping us to understand that in our interaction and our speaking to each other, it needs to be full of grace and seasoned with salt. And finally, I did also think that it's important that we need to understand that we have a responsibility when we hear things as well as speak them. If someone says something which is negative to you, even though it gets in, we have a choice as to whether we feed that in there or we deal with it in there. So together, as Christians, we should be the best in the world at trying to deal with this. Wow, that's a challenge, isn't it? We should be the best in the world at being able to process what someone else might say and take it to Jesus. And if it's a problem, to cast it onto him, to give it to him. Not saying, do you know what? Five years, three months, two days ago, you said this to me. Because it's stuck. That will only tend to stick if you think about it and you feed it. I think God wants us to kind of put weed killer on those negative things that come into our lives. So not only as Christians do we have a responsibility for what we say, we have a responsibility for sticking close to Jesus in also what we hear, particularly about ourselves. And I'm not, please... Um, you know, I'm not saying that that's easy. None of it is easy. But we will be the healthiest spiritually for it if that's the position we come to. You know, some years ago, a lot of uh, people had little bracelets that had uh, yeah, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Perhaps we should just have ones for a while that says WWJS, what would Jesus say? So why, why is it important? It's important because we want to see the kingdom of God grow. What is the point of anybody joining a kingdom where actually it's no different to anywhere else? What is going to be attractive to those who don't know Jesus if what they're looking at is even worse, perhaps, than the situation they already find themselves in? We're here because we want to see lives transformed and communities changed. And part of that, James is saying, I believe, is that we need just to keep reviewing how we, how we speak. So I'd like, us to, I'd like to suggest that for the next seven days, in the morning, the first thing you say is, Lord Jesus, I want my speech today to be full of grace and seasoned with salt. And let's see how we get on over the next week to put this into practice.